I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Do you know uh, the BC Boys song, Brass Monkey? Yes, I do, actually. Uh, do you know it's about a pre-made cocktail that was sold uh, in the 70s and 80s? Yes. And it's by a company named Hublin, I guess? I did not know that. But I knew about the other stuff. It. It's similar to Rock and Rye, and not in terms of flavor or anything, just that they're both that kind of product. Uh, that song was also covered in the 90s by Fear Factory, which was a very, very different style of song. Same song yeah, well, though. Fear Factory is, yeah, I, I remember Fear Factory. <laughs> well, we're not here That's to talk like about Cannibal that. Cannibal Corpse covered it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was very different if they covered it, yeah. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about covers of songs. If we were, well, you'd be here for more than an hour. Uh, instead, we're going to continue on with what will likely be the last of our episodes on Dragon Flights. Uh, in the previous ones, we've talked about the five major ones and one major slash often considered lesser one uh, where we talked about the Infinite Dragon Flight as well. Uh, but today we're going to be covering everybody else. I figured we would start actually with the newest discovery and the one we know the least about, and then move on from there. So first, we're going to talk about the Drakthir, which aren't necessarily a dragon flight, but aren't not a dragon flight, if that makes sense. They're in dragon this dragonflight adjacent. They're dragonflight adjacent, as most of these are. Uh, the Dra- the Drakthir are an ancient race of humanoid dragonkin uh, that were created uh, by. Naltharian. He combined the essence of dragons with the ad- adaptability of mortal races to create, or at least attempt to, a race of ideal soldiers. Uh, Naltharian also created the area with, where they reside, called the Forbidden Reach, off the coast of the Dragon Isles to serve as their training ground. Uh, but after a terrible battle, which we don't know what battle that was or what actually happened, uh, everything sort of the island went dormant. Uh, and it was 
thought to be abandoned for ages. But now with the dragon flights being brought back to the Dragon Isles, things are starting to wake back up again. This was a uh, what we're finding out about the Drac theories is really interesting because they're sort of like proto experimentations by the Dragonflight, in particular by Neltharian, which that was a hallmark of not just him, but his children and some of the tragedy and atrocities that they committed. But here we see them trying to do something seemingly for good, uh, where these new humanoids, these new things given life using the power of all five of the major dragon flights are being born. What do you think about the reveal of the Drakthir and how they sort of slot into what we know about the mythos of the, or at least what we know so far of the dragon flights? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you've mentioned before, there are um, other humanoid dragon combinations out there. Um, and we've seen them. Uh, several of them were bosses in Blackwing Lair. Uh, not Blackwing Lair, but although also in Blackwing Lair. Um, like Broodlord Lash Lair is a giant Draconid. He's, Dragon, he's a humanoid yeah, Dragon dragon. Ed, yep. Um, and in like Upper and Lower Blackrock Spire, I mean, General Dracosath at the end of Upper Blackrock Spire is like a... I forget what they're called. They're not Draconids, uh, but they're similar. Draconian, maybe? I'm not sure. They're, they're Draconians. They're basically like centaur dragons. Yeah, they're like a centaur dragon combination. There's another one at the end of Lower Blackrock Spire. Uh, and I can never remember the name of this one, but the, the one that was the boss of the original Lower Blackrock Spire uh, was also such a dragon. Uh, dragon he, dragon humanoid combination. And they they serve all the dragon flights. We, the ones we obviously saw in like UBRS and Blackwing Lair were serving, you know, Nefarian. So they were serving the black dragon flight, but we've seen them as guards. Uh, there's, there's chromatic, there's ones, bronze ones in the, in the caverns of time. So I am interested to see if like <clears throat> this technique that Neltharian used to make the Drakthir, if it was later adjusted by him for some reason, and later on it leaked out to the other dragon flights, or he, maybe he just straight up so- told them. Here's an interesting. No. Here's an interesting thing about that too, because originally the dragon the draconids uh, were described as half dragons, half mortals that were mortals that were empowered by the dragons they served, either by intentional alteration or unintentional side effects of hanging out with other dragons, and that the this particular process was called out to not actually have to be willing. Uh, this is something that we've had forever, uh, and it was actually. I want to say World of Warcraft, the magazine volume two, uh, where that was the first time we got concrete or anything that was considered, uh, for for lack of a better term, canon to why Draconids existed, but not just existed in Blackwing Lair and, and Upper Blackrock Spire and Lower Blackrock Spire, but in fact, like you could go to the Caverns of Time and you could see bronze Draconids walking around you could see green draconids you could see blue draconids like they were everywhere and they weren't all hostile so is the the question here and i think is really interesting with the drakthir and the draconids which came first was drakthirs the first ones that were evolved or was it something that neltharian started doing after he noticed that mortal races could be altered to become draken, uh, drac, uh, dragon adjacent. They could become draconids. It, it's an interesting thing. And two, like also thinking about it, when you look at draconids, especially during like the uh, Blackwing Lair fight, when you're fighting uh, Nefarian the very, very first time, 
when those skeletons get up, they're not human, right? But they're not dragon either. They are something completely different. So it is, it's, it's fascinating to think of which came first and what we're going to find out regarding that. Also, uh, the infinite dragon flight has a bunch of them too, because, uh, there's a few I think so the nether dragons for that matter. Yeah. There's one, one known nether, uh, dragon. I think it's Orkaos the insane or Okos the insane. There's, oh, and by the way, Dracosath was a dragon spawn. There it is, dragon, dragon spawn. spawn. Uh, but there's also uh, members of the Draconids that worked with like the Twilight Cult that mm-hmm. worked for old gods. Like there are some deep, deep ties to like pretty much anything that's a source of power on Azeroth. So, but I didn't mean to cut you off. It was just kind of an interesting thought. No, no, it actually is something. And by the way, the one I was trying to remember was Overlord Wormthalak. Wormthalak, yes. The Wormthalak, I remember having to kill a lot. A lot. Yeah, because Wormthalak, uh, not in addition to dropping the uh, sword I wanted, was also you just there was a lot of you know a lot of tier set pieces were on Wormthalak. Um, but he also dropped like yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. He dropped. It's not important. <laughs> the important thing is, although it was the uh, you know the really really cool sword, the 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 uh, uh, relentless scythe, which was like a big curvy sword. Um, <clears throat> had the same model as the original Obsidian Edge Blade. But regardless, uh, the, my point is just that we know that the various dragon flights have a method to transform beings into dragon or dragon-like things. And the fact that the Drakthir have the ability to move back and forth like dragons do, like yes. they can take on their much more human form, <clears throat> you know, their humanoid-ish form, which doesn't really look human to me. It looks kind of like an elf, but whatever. Uh, they can they can turn into that or they can turn into a much more dragony form with wings and claws and all that, but still humanoid <clears throat> makes me think that this was the original attempt because it's got, a, it seems to have a lot more of the dragon aspect in it. Like, and then, then later on when he was like, I want soldiers, maybe I just want brutes. And so he just made the, you know, he made the dragonids and then he's like, well, I need some people to command them. And maybe that's where the dragon spawn come from. We don't actually know the origin of the Dragon's one at all. No, it's uh, true. There's, there's hints of it, but we we don't actually know what the, what they are or what they can do. And we do know that every Dragonflight also has them. We have encountered mm-hmm. uh, all of the major uh, chromatic flight colors. Essentially, uh, have displayed Dragon Spawn of some type. We've we've interacted with. I think I'm pretty sure all of them. I want to say all of them. Um, I could be wrong. There might be, I'm not entirely certain that we've seen green ones, but I know for a fact we've seen blue in the Nexus. Uh, We've seen red ones uh, multiple times. We've seen and fought uh, time uh, bronze flight dragon, uh, dragon. I can't even, we're going to say dragon a lot, folks. Uh, A lot of dragon spawn over that. We've definitely fought black ones. Uh, It's, it's interesting to see how that that's going to, shake out story-wise drakthir are a fascinating thing because like we don't know they could be that pre that pre-template that matt's matt was talking about or the or sorry that uh i was talking about or they could be the uh they could be the template that matt was talking about the the, the, the refinement of it right mm-hmm. so. also i will point out you absolutely have seen green dragon spawn because they're I know this. I just rem- I was just there. Uh, the is area it? of the Swamp of Sorrows around the uh, Sunken Temple. temple. The Sunken yes. Temple, there's okay. green. There's green dragon spawn wandering around it, like basically trying to keep people away from it. 
I mean, legitimately, so. it's been about ten years since I've been around oh, the yeah. uh, the sunken temple. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, I understand. Uh, now you definitely they have been seen in the game. Uh, as far as I can tell, not only are the the main five flights all represented with dragon spawn. I'm pretty sure, and although it's it's hard because I'm I'm just doing research as I can, I'm pretty sure we've seen uh, chromatic and infinite ones as well. We absolutely have. Uh, we absolutely. I have. don't know if we've seen twilight ones or not, but we might have. We haven't seen nether any nether uh, dragon spawn to my, to my knowledge. Correct. I'm, I'm with you on that one. But in the vein of experimentation, I figured we can move on from those to the actual chromatic dragon flight, um, mm-hmm. which is said to be basically rooted in black rock spire. And it was created by Nefarian uh, using dragon blood from other dragon flights. Uh, While these were considered failures by a lot of metrics uh, with many whelps dying before being hatched, those that survived were unstable, short-lived, volatile, and or deformed. Uh, Partially because Nefarian couldn't stop himself from using magic to age them up. Yes. So often they were like unstable because they were literally aging super rapidly. Yes. And we see a lot of that as well. And I mean, we've talked about what there, there we've seen Gith. We've seen, uh, Cromagnus is actually one is, is considered part of the chromatic fright as well. All the Draconids. But why don't you go through a little bit of, of what we've seen with the chromatic dragon flight? Well, I mean, you mentioned Cromagus, which was, you know, that was, an uh, it's really kind of complicated with Cromagus. Uh, Technically, he is the first of his kind. He's the first chromatic dragon, and he's the one with... He's got five heads. Yep. He's got. He's basically... Um, I'm just going to say this. He's a giant ripoff of Tiamat from D&D. Uh, he's got heads well, of each dragon. Chromagus Chroma- are double-headed, not five-headed. No, uh, five-headed. You're talking... Oh, I'm talking Chromatus. I'm sorry. You're, ta- you're talking Chromatus. You mean the Dracodon. Yes, the yeah, Dracodon. Cro- yeah, Chromagus is the Dracodon. I'm going to talk about Chromatus instead because I've already started. There you go. Um, he's, from <laughs> Twilight, he's from Twilight of the Aspects. And <clears throat> when Neltharion was working on his various things, one of the things he decided to do was, okay, this blood infusion stuff isn't enough. And so he basically stitched together five dragons mm-hmm. to create this abomination. But... It didn't seem to be alive. Um, but once the uh, blue dragon flight had done their whole thing, trying to move around the uh, nexus points, a surge needle had been left behind. And the uh, Twilight Father, who we now know was, was Archbishop Benedictus, had gotten his hands on a surge needle, the uh, ley line reproduction thing. You, you remember them from, from uh, um, Northrend from the uh, quests in Borean Tundra and the these, Nexus. These were the giant circles that would fly in the air that looked like they were coming down to a funnel of arcane energy. Yeah. He used that to basically jumpstart the uh, the corpse. It's Although it wasn't a corpse, it wasn't, it was a the living in- body. It wasn't inert. alive. Yeah. But he managed to, after, after Nefarian had been defeated, he managed to use the Surge Needle to blast the thing with so much arcane power that it essentially came to life. And it was incredibly dangerous. Like it was powerful enough to fight aspects. Uh, it, it could successfully fight uh, the aspects because it had the powers of all five dragon flights of all the, the five main dragon flights. It could channel all of them through its various head. Um, <clears throat> but its body is practically indestructible because when the dragon aspects finally managed to beat it, uh, they couldn't destroy it. 
its body went inanimate and it was neither dead nor undead or alive. They, they were like, that's, that's right in the book. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, technically speaking, Chromatus is the only successful chromatic dragon. And it wasn't even successful when Nefarian was doing his experiments. Like he couldn't get it to move. He couldn't get it to exist. It was only when the twilight father working for the, uh, the twilight's hammer managed to juice the thing up that it, and, and thus he's probably working on Deathwing's orders and with Deathwing basically saying, Oh, my son was onto something, but here's what you need to do. And the interesting thing too, yeah. is his body's indestructible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like they couldn't destroy it. They, they, if it's not indestructible, it is very hard to destroy. They, the five dragon aspects work well four. the four dragon aspects currently working together because it obviously the, the earth dragon wasn't helping them. Uh, but you know, Alex Straza, Sarah, uh, Caligos at that time and uh, Caligos and I can never remember Nazdarmo's name because he doesn't have a ghost anywhere there. Um, <laughs> those four together couldn't destroy him. Like even when they managed to beat him, they couldn't destroy him. So he's currently being stored. Like I, I don't know what I actually don't know what happened to him. So they created a, this one. I actually do know. Uh, so like during the Nexus War, where Malagos was tie, uh, basically shunted away into a pocket dimension to, to sort of hold him. Uh, they created an arcane prison similar to that, to, to basically what Malgos created, but bigger and stronger to hold the body. Uh, the body was then placed into it and was set to be watched by all of the dragon flights while the representative from each of them makes sure that it stays inanimate. Uh, and if not, they are to report back immediately so that it can be fought again uh, and hopefully torn asunder because the only hope that they have, because this also ties into to the vision of the twilight hour that Alex Straza had, where the realization was legitimately, if Chromatis gets to full power and also winds up finding a mate or finding a, a dragon to force into being its consort and creates stable chromatic eggs, that's the end of the dragon flights and possibly the end of the mortal world. Because the other thing it was looking to do was what it was originally intended to do, which was absorb the power of all of the dragon flights into a single strain so that those particular dragons could live the experiment that Naltharian and Nefarian wanted all those years ago, have all of the Dragonflight powers in one complete compact package. So it's, it's interesting too. And I mean, it was very Tiamat adjacent, but I didn't quite mind it because it was a clear and present danger that the Dragonflight hadn't felt since before they were actually the Dragonflights. Uh, when they went against that wonderfully horrible undead energy infused, I can never remember his name. Um, the one that tears saw them fighting. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um, Galakrond. Galakrond. That was the last time they had anything that really was going to put them on the ropes. And even then, like they had to go work together to get it done. Same thing with Chromatis. So the Chromatic Dragon Flight. Uh, I mean, we should probably continue with just not just Chromatis, Chromatis being the uh, Chromatis being kind of the ultimate the example ultimate. of them. But he didn't, like I said, Joe talked about it before. The Chromatic Dragonflight wasn't successful. No. Um, they they were not. They were basically even the ones we see tended to be failures um, because they weren't viable. Um, Gith is an example. Gith was one of the 
best possible ones. Like he, he was actually up and around and moving and it was just like, you know, had the power of multiple dragons, but you'll notice he doesn't have the five heads that, that, uh, Chromatis had. Uh, he's just a Drake who seems to have a multiple lot of power. dragon blood, you know, multiple dragon flights abilities. Like he, for instance, he's got, you know, the, the cold breath and the weird ass chromatic energy throughout his body and so forth. Um, you fight you. This is the Mount of Rend Blackhand. Mm-hmm. So th- this is where you wind up. Like you go through this encounter. Uh, Gith is also, I believe the first and oldest chromatic Drake that we knew about. This yeah. predates knowing about Chromatis and any of the stuff mm-hmm. that happened with the Twilight Hammer. It was the first one that we'd ever seen that actually managed to get into the Drake stage. We'd seen chromatic whelps, mm-hmm. but this was the first one we'd ever seen get to the point where you could ride him and he could breathe, make attacks. You know, he was he was significantly more further along than other chromatics. There's and then we already talked about Chromagus. Chromagus was a Dracodon that was infused with the power of all five dragon flights mm-hmm. uh, and the first of its kind to survive. And even it was locked away for further experimentation. As you go through Blackwing Lair, you'll actually see the cage that it is held in. You have to release it to kill it. Uh, but in that room is just a carnal house of dragon oh, flights yeah. that have been stripped of portions of their meat uh, and blood and viscera and we can only assume grafted or infused into uh, the Dracodon and the other chromatic experiments that were existent there. And years later, we would come to find out in Blackwing Descent exactly how deep those experiments went. Uh, there was another one that popped up actually during Island Expeditions as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Chromi. Chromatis. Chromatis, uh, which was also a Drake. The only other one that we've ever seen hit the Drake status uh, besides Gith, uh, and it is killable. It is something that, I mean, technically canonically is dead because of us, the players. Um, and then I, there's experiment 12 B, right? There's experiment 12 B, which is held by the twilight dragon, Ultraxian, which we can move into the twilight dragons. If you want to now feel free. Well, they're kind of, they're kind of the similar thing. Um, they are basically, this one's a little complicated. Uh, the, this all kind of starts with the blue dragon Terragosa, the one we mentioned last time for how Malagos got his groove back, sort of. <laughs> um, Terragosa had, you know, basically gone to Outland alongside a human named Gerard Mace that she was sort of hanging out with because, uh, you know, her boyfriend had dumped her for the Sunwell. And when she got there, uh, she ended up being introduced to the, the Nether Drakes, and she took several of Nether Nether dragons and their eggs back to the Nexus to show them to the other blue dragons. Like, look at this, this change that's happened to them from being exposed to the power of the twisting nether. We'll talk about nether, nether wing dragons in a few. Yeah. But, but not all of them got there uh, because the eggs that were exposed were originally black dragon eggs. They were in fact, eggs that of all people, Deathwing had put on outland. He was, he decided to, to have his dragon flight lay eggs on Outland because that way the other aspects would not have direct knowledge of where they were. Uh, it was a good way to hide from yeah, his dra- enemies. Do the dragon flights, and I don't know if we mentioned this before, they're weirdly attuned to each other in such a way that they know when like clutches of eggs are in danger. They know when the other dragon flights are in danger. Uh, they can kind of sense the eggs. When If you go through like the, the rogue uh, legendary dagger quest line, you learn a lot more about that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they they can always know where other dragons or dragon eggs are, or at least approximately. Are. 
Please continue. Yeah, but by moving to another world, they get around that. It's like it's, they're not going to sense them all the way on Outland. And unfortunately for Deathwing, uh, he had a problem with with Gruul, the uh, the the Gron, and the Gruul and his children decided to kill as many dragons as they could because they were encroaching into his territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deathwing and Gruul even got into a fight where Deathwing probably would have won, but. Gruul had help from the Alliance who attacked Deathwing's plates while he was fighting Gruul. Um, and since Cadgar was with them, it was actually pretty effective and he had to flee. When, uh, I want to say Gul'dan, but Nurzul. When Nurzul opened the rifts to try and t- get his people off of Outland and in Draenor and then thus doing ripped the place apart and caused the formation of Outland, the eggs left behind on Outland by the dra- by the Black Dragons were exposed to the raw power of the Twisting Nether. That's where you get the Twisting ne- the, the Nether Dragons from. We will come back to that. But because that had happened, some of the dragon eggs fell into the hands of not the, the Blue Dragons, but the, bl- the Black Dragons. In particular, Syntharia, correct? Because mm-hmm, Syntharia was on Outland collecting them. And you see her. Uh, specifically, if you did the Nether Dragon... Uh, que- rep quest because you wanted to get your own nether drake mount synthario is there negotiating mm-hmm. with the uh, dragon maw and saying you know you give me some of these eggs and i'll help you out more importantly i won't kill you uh and while they were serving Ildadon and they were pretty you know sure they could take her they didn't want to risk it because she was she was like anixia but much older uh she was a a powerful black drake uh, she, so she got the eggs and she took them back to what is now Grim Batal. And that's where she was experimenting on them. Until and, the Twilight Caverns years later. Yeah, until finally she came up with like a... Hmm, I'm thinking about the right way to put this. She actually managed to create the first Twilight Drake. Uh, and the Twilight Dragon, sorry. He wasn't a Drake. Um, Zerixia? The one that's in the book. Yeah. Z- of the Dragon, I think. Zerixia, Zerixia is her child. It's her first yeah. child. And so... When that happened, and there's a whole thing about it, uh, ultimately that, that, you know, not only is that dragon killed, but Synth- you know, Synthario is very badly injured. And it's, it's why, that's why when you see Syn- Syntharia at the end of the Bastion of Twilight, she looks like she does. Because while she was injured greatly by Deathwing deciding to try and mate with her while he was like, you know, leaking molten lava out of his body. Um, she still bears the scars when we see her. Yeah. But she still, they still did do so. Um, I think, in fact, uh, it's even possible that some of the dragons we know, like Anixia and Nefarian, Nefarian might actually be from after. Yeah, we uh, don't. We actually don't know the timeline on that. And there's other, yeah. there's other possible children that we we know about as well. Uh, Nixandra, uh, Darganax, and and possibly we consider Rathian a grandchild. I mean, it would technically, technically have to speaking, be. Technically, uh, Rathion is the child of one of one of his direct daughters. So yeah, uh, Rathion, all the eggs that made up Rathion when the eggs were, were purified, those eggs all came from uh, Neltharion's daughter. I can't remember mm-hmm. her name off the top of my head, but she was a brood mother just like Anixia. She's like I want to say Nisandra. Oh, and it was Dar- it was Darganex was the the one that in Grimbatal that died. Yeah, Darganex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Cinder goes. So that's what happens. The, the 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 heroes come and fight, and they try to prevent her experiments, and they do. They they collapse the place, and she's very badly injured. But Neltharion has since heard what she's been up to, 
Uh, whether or not she was even doing it on his behest or not is kind of unclear in the book. But he he moves her up to the Bastion of Twilight where she can kind of sleep and try and heal. Um, in his way, he seems affectionate towards her. I mean, he's Deathwing, but he's like, yeah, I'm not going to let my wife die. So he he pl- he plants her in there, and that's when you see like the other the Twilight dragons that you see afterwards are from Deathwing coming along and completing the experiments, just like with uh, the Chromatic Dragon uh, Chromatis. He comes along and completes the experiments of another of his flight. In this case, his 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 consort. So there's um, Halion. That's that's one of them that I'm pretty sure about. Halion, you remember Halion, right? Oh uh, yeah, you I'm had no, you had Halion. Halion and Umbris yeah. were uh, were among the the first ones, I believe. And there's uh, Valonia and Theraelion. Those are the ones we fought in Bastion of Twilight. Uh, uh, they have like the two of them together. There's Vexonia and Xerixia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, we just talked about experiment uh, B12. Mm. So yeah, there's there's a few different ones. Uh, but the basic thing about all of these guys is that they are born from eggs, exposed to energies extracted from the the nether dragon eggs, but combined with the magics of the twilight hammer and also the the old god shadowy magics as well. Which is interesting because one of the key things of that experimentation is that the dragon eggs that would become the twilight dragons that would be born those eggs were experimented on specifically to absorb all mystical energy, any mystical energy, very similar Mm -hmm. to what we just talked about with a certain five headed dragon, uh, absorbing the powers of the other dragon flights. This is sort of like, I don't want to say the perfection or culmination of it, but it's pretty darn close. Like this is, this is what they wanted. This is what Deathwing was trying to do. And we see the, like basically the ultimate culmination of all this is Ultraxan. Yes, and uh, if you if you remember the Dragon Soul raid, what Ultraxian was was basically he was the ability to um, essentially drag. He was going to drag the, the the dragon aspects into a shadow realm and just destroy them. Like they would be trapped away from Azeroth, away from their main power source, and he would have drained their bodies entirely, and they would have died. Uh, that's that's what that hour of you know from their perspective that's what everything Deathwing had been leading up to. That's why he when he unleashes Ultraxian on the the, the four aspects and thrall, uh, they can't st- stop him. It, it's up to the mortals to do so because the mortals are not affected in the mm-hmm, same way by mm-hmm. what he's doing. Um, there's that like the thing that you remember is that when if you ever did the fight and the raid wiped, they probably wiped on you know either his his five second cast thing, uh, what was it called? Twilight eruption. Yes. Um, so you had to get into and out of the shadow phase fast enough to, to do DPS to him, to kill him before, which oh no, this is lore wise, but the lore wise aspect of it is that the realm he pulls them into is literally like a, it's a realm controlled by and charged by the void. Um, and it's, that's the energy that fuels all twilight dragons and it fuels him. Uh, I think, how does Sarah put it? When he's coming, Sarah says something like, I can't remember the first part, something about the chaos of it burns my mind. Yeah, like, so I mean, especially for somebody like Sarah. so this this is a, a creature, this is a being that essentially feeds by, like, absorbing energy, right? And so as it moves, as it goes through, uh, things that are attuned to nature and life, green and red dragons, anybody, uh, would feel it in a way that would be... Um, anathema really to them not just because it's a giant evil dragon that wants to consume them 
but also because of its disturbance in the natural order of things. Uh, dragons in general, and, and we've talked about this a little bit in the previous two episodes, are very attuned to what their their sort of like wheelhouse is, what their their domains are, and things that sort of go against that. Uh, they can feel it. It's also likely part of the reason why uh, Naltharian fell the way he did. Uh, why an old god or old gods, plural, were able to sneak into his mind because the he was so sensitive and tied to the deep places. Uh, you know, if a volcano went off somewhere, he'd feel it. If an earthquake happened that he didn't cause, he'd feel it. Disturbances in the natural order of like the world itself he'd feel so things buried deep inside of it could reach out to him from it but the same thing goes through for all of the dragon flights disturbances in the arcane the blue dragon flight can feel that uh this is why like caligos knew that malagos was ripping the the uh, ley lines as he was to where he was this is why uh, even in legion when caligos and, and the blue dragon flights and we're, we're doing our thing in azuna with them like they talk about it, they talk about feeling uh, the disturbance, the the disruption that's happening around them. Same thing with Alex Straza, disturbances of life, in particular things like undeath, uh, like the Lich King, like the Scourge, uh, things that are anathema to the natural cycle. She can feel, and it's like an itch. It's like an itch that can't be scratched. And in this particular case, what Matt's pointing out is even Ysera. Ysera said the same thing, and also like looking upon this creature uh, was just, it wasn't terror. It's like I'm trying to think how to phrase it. If you remember those old like puzzles where you like, you'd, you'd stare at them and like eventually oh, the, magic the magic eye puzzles it, if you couldn't do that and there was a percentage of people that, that did not have the, the eye focal length to do it, but it would instantaneously cause you a migraine and make you uncomfortable. Even seeing those images now, when you go through like colorblind tests and things like that, will cause your brain to overload. That's kind of what happened here. So that's basically the Twilights were made to basically be dragon killers to essentially Deathwing also sought the hour of Twilight. In mm -hmm. fact, that's the entire thing. He wanted the hour of Twilight to happen. Uh, and he's made ultimately Ultraxian is the, is the grand culmination of his efforts to make a weapon that will usher in the hour of Twilight. And Ultraxian himself even says for this moment alone was I made. Yep. Uh, I'm here to kill you. That and that's only reason I even exist. So that's basically the Twilights in a nutshell. They're servants of the old gods through Deathwing. Uh, they serve Deathwing first and foremost, and then the old gods because Deathwing serves the old gods. But it's Deathwing that they were focused on. I don't know if there's any of them still alive, and I have no idea what they're doing. We we don't know, right? Because every time we seem to think that they were dead or that we've wiped them out. Like we find the eggs in Grimbatal, we find the eggs uh, in that room with the uh, the Cathraxi that are being summoned in. Uh, we thought that we had that covered. Then we get to uh, the end of the Twilight uh, Twilight Fortress. I can't remember the actual name of the dungeon. Uh, the the raid. I apologize. Bastion of Twilight. Bastion of Twilight. There we go. Uh, you get to the end of Bastion of Twilight, and if you do it at a high enough level, after you beat Chogall, there's an entire new chamber where another clutch of eggs is of twilight dragons like there is we don't know how many pockets of them are because the other thing too remember how i mentioned earlier that the dragons can kind of feel the eggs of other dragons they can kind of feel each other to a certain extent nobody knew that those were there 
Nobody knew what was happening in Grimbatal. They knew that there was a disturbance there, but they didn't know there were clutches of eggs there. There could be pockets of them hidden throughout Azeroth. We have no idea. And also, we're going to talk about the Netherwing here in a second. There could be pockets of them in other dimensions or other worlds, or because of the ability of having all of the powers of all the dragon flights, there could be alternate timelines that are out there now that haven't been pulled back into the primary one where they're safe and sound. We don't know yet. It is one of those things where the, the Twilight Dragons could pop up at any time. Now, the Twilight Dragons wouldn't exist without the Netherwing Dragonflight. Uh, and this is back towards the end of the Second War. Uh, Notharian, uh Deathwing, traveled through the Dark Portal to Draenor. He believed that Draenor was a relatively safe haven for his offspring. So he took a bunch of black dragon eggs before uh, ha having to retreat back to Azeroth after basically finding out that Gron will make you bleed. And uh, there's some big ones, and you don't want to mess with them. Uh, so following, the, he basically abandoned those eggs. They were left there behind. Uh, the energies that were released after the catastrophic altering uh, of, of the eggs resulted in, and, and the planet resulted in the nether dragons, which were partially corporeal and partially ethereal dragons who possessed the ability to shift between astral and physical planes. That is actually really cool in and of itself because they're the only dragons that can do that particular trick. The only other ones that come relatively close are the green dragon flight and the bronze dragon flight. The bronze dragon flight can sort of transubstantiate between timelines. They can open portals. They can alter things. They can, they can go to different places through time and space. The green ones can move to another realm. They can go to the Emerald Dream. And we know that the Emerald Dream is not Azeroth. It's another plane, for lack of a better term in the cosmology chart. It's another plane of existence. Uh, so them being able to move into the Aether like that through this ethereal plane, something that is the only time we had ever heard any other mention of it during this time frame were the ethereals themselves, is them. Uh, we do know that they have a naming convention that they adhere to, uh, which is basically they have Aku at the end of their name. Uh, so they have various leaders like uh, Nethro-Aku, uh, Karanaku, and Mordenaku. Uh, they can take humanoid forms. In particular, they seem to appear as elves, mostly blood elves, as that seems to be what they are most familiar with, uh, just due to their nature of being in Shadowmoon Valley uh, and being near the Dragon Maw fortresses and things like that. Although they could probably appear as orcs or anything else that they deem, just like all of the other dragons. Um, the, in particular, uh, Karanaku was captured by Zulahed the Wacked, uh, and the Dragon Maw clan in order to create dragon riders for service of the armies of Illidan Stormrage, which we as players, well, we kind of ruined that for him and we take Zulahed the Wacked and his people out. Uh, and that's when, during that quest line, that's when we see Syntharia show up and that's yes. how we know that Syntharia got her hands on Nether Dragons. Yes. But also, there is actually something else to mention. Please. Uh, there's the Nether Dragons that appear in the original Warcraft Read the Frozen Throne. Um, we don't know what these things are. We don't know if they are actually related to the Nether Dragons we know of. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. They're, they're implied to be from, like, demons. They come through dimensional gateways. Uh, and they're supposedly related to something from Magtheridon. It's possible that they are just enslaved versions of the Nether Dragons 
that we're already that we're familiar with from uh the Fro- not from the Frozen Throne from uh the Burning Crusade. Mm-hmm. It's possible that the 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 elite forces of the Legion just stole some and forced them into bondage, much the way Illidan wanted to, because they come through. Uh, I believe the, that when they come through, they come through alongside Illidan's forces. They do. So it's possible that everything we just saw with the Dragon Maw that Joe was just talking about is what these things are. Because you notice that when they did Warcraft 3 Reforged, mm-hmm. they made them look more like More the like ones, this, yes. Yeah. So originally, they, that, originally, they were light ice blue uh, in the yeah. original Warcraft 3, but here, yeah. The other interesting thing about that, too, and this goes to Matt's point... We also know that the clutches of eggs are scattered throughout. We know Shadowmoon Valley for sure, but possibly the rest of Draenor. There, there are tons of places. Yeah, the rest of Draenor, including the parts of Draenor that are not an outland. Yes, that because might have the planet was ripped apart. It's quite possible there are dragon clutches floating on floating rocks somewhere, or even like you know, for all we know, there's another. There's we know there's other continents that were on Draenor. Maybe those other continents are also out in the Twisting Nether. We don't know. And that's the other thing too. These are Nether Drakes. Having them survive in the Twisting Nether in the Great Black Expanse between realities is not far fetched, and they're very uniquely positioned to be fine with that. Honestly, one and this is going to sound weird. One of the first things I thought of when we were going to the Shadowlands is I was wondering if the Nether Dragon, the Nether, the Netherwing flight was going to be involved because of their ability to transubstantiate between planes of existence. I was very surprised to not see them. I'm hoping that they'll make a return in Dragonflight uh, for various reasons. One, because I always really adored them. And two, we don't get nearly enough of them, and we haven't since Burning Crusade. Come on, it's time to bring them back a little bit. Let's get some more. Uh, but yeah, they after Burning Crusade, they sort of... Ooh, go ooh, ahead. There actually is something else you should point out. Please. The, there's a, there is some debate that the power that the Nether Dragons call upon is related to the Void in some fashion. Correct. That the Void and the Twisting Nether might abut each other and so forth and so on. That's just something that should be mentioned. We know that the Twilight Dragons are drawing from the Void. Yes. So it might be that's that that's the ability that they drew from the Nether Drakes into the Twilight Dragons. Um, but at any rate, yeah, the, the rest of everything you said, yeah, same thing. Now we have a few more to go through here. Um, some of them we won't spend a whole lot of time on, um, but I'm going to bring them up because I want to make sure we try to get the the remaining lesser flights uh, covered here a little bit. Uh, we talked about the Infinite Dragon flight when we talked about uh, the Bronze Dragons. I'm not going to dwell on them. They have been considered at one point. Uh, a small subset or a lesser dragon flight of corrupted bonds dragons. But now we know more about that. We've known more about that than they've ever revealed. And that's probably going to be coming ahead soon in dragon flight. Along that same vein is the nightmare dragon flight. Uh, The nightmare dragon flight is consistent of green dragons who were corrupted by the emerald nightmare, uh, particularly through the efforts of Xavius and the dark patrons he serves. Um, We do see that like at one point, even Ysera was corrupted by this. They are dragons tormented into service of this, these dark creatures. We talked about the dragons of nightmare before when they were originally existed as the four world bosses of the green dragons that were corrupted. We then learned more about it as we moved into Legion and actually saw them in the Emerald nightmare. 
uh, but we don't know if they're completely gone. We supposedly ended the nightmare, but at the end of that, and this goes back to something that Matt talked about with the Nether Drakes, the end of that sequence, the spirit of Ysera leads us to a cave in which there is a fragment of void condensed in and of itself. We reach into it and pull out a void rose. What does this mean? No idea. We have mm-hmm. not had any sort of indication or inkling or, or we're not keys. even sure if, if that was you, Sarah, like just a piece of you, Sarah, that was left mm-hmm. behind when the rest of her, because you know, one of the things that we found out is that some, if things are killed in specific ways, their souls can be fragmented. That might've just been some small piece of you, Sarah left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be kind of scary. to think about the fact that the void might actually understand domination magic and how to splinter a soul now. Um, but yeah, that's quite possible. The other, and that's just one. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's just one possibility. And there, there's a point that I'm going to get to that I think you're you're on the chain of, but I want to end with that one, I think. Oh, uh, no, we can't end because there's one more flight we have to talk no, about. No, there's more. We have, we, have, we have several more minutes. There's two more, actually. Um, another one that is often not talked about, but I'm going to bring up here, is the Plagued Dragonflight. Uh, the Plagued Dragonflight was actually created by the Cult of the Damned. Uh, they began breeding this dragonflight within Skullomance, in particular as a method of spreading the plague of undeath. The necromancers of Skullomance, working under Vectus, used black dragon eggs from the burning steps as the basis for these experiments, uh, in the hopes to unleash the plague dragons on the world. The Argent Dawn was what stepped up to actually send adventurers and a representative of the Argent Dawn at the time into Skullomance to stop this. However, uh, they those experiments were not unsuccessful. The necromatic magic was definitely infused into them, making them look very similar to drakes that we find in Maldraxxus. Um, but we see plagued proto-drakes throughout Icecrown and the Storm Peaks. Uh, Kalthazad actually helped nurse infected plague whelps to adulthood, making sure it was fed only the finest liquefied remains. Um, you can still go up to Northrend and find them. And I honestly encourage you to do so. Go and take a look throughout uh, all of Icecrown Citadel. Go go look at all of Icecrown in general uh, and the various regions at the Plague Dragons that are there. And the uh, Plague Proto-Drakes, by the way. And the also Plague Proto-Drakes, yep. And I was going to say, they got to a Proto-Drake stage. That's pretty monumental. Because we doubt we, I believe we know there's whelp, proto drake, drake, dragon. I think is the, the well, no, no, right? no, 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 no. It's whelp, uh, juvenile, drake, and dragon. Proto drakes are the ancestral form form of before, the dragons. Yeah, yeah. The proto drakes uh, getting plagued means that they actually managed to spread it to the pre-Titan interference dragons as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they actually have both, and that's actually even worse. Yeah. Please continue. Uh. No, that's that was it. I just want to make sure that we know we mentioned that the proto drakes were also affected. We haven't really talked about proto drakes and all this, um, and we're almost out of time. So let's go. We're not the- doing we're not doing a part four. I don't think. No, but we might come back and just do proto drakes at some point. I would. Agree. I want to mention the various elemental dragons. Well, do you want to talk about storm drakes in that, or do you want to do them as their own thing? Because don't forget the storm uh, flight. The storm dragon flight does exist. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about the storm drakes as a way to, to talk about both, and then you can talk to the Absolutely. other ones. But there's uh, various dragons. One of the ideas that, that's been floating around, and I don't know how verified it is, but that dragons originally come 
from the elemental planes that they're actually, because look at their power and their abilities. The original proto drakes are descended from creatures that came directly from the elemental planes to Azeroth after they were created at some point. And what might make this actually true uh, are beings like the storm drakes, storm dragons. We, we first run into storm dragons in the, uh, Stormheim. No, 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 no. The first time we meet storm dragons is in, uh, Al, um, oh, I can't remember his bloody name. Uh, the elemental Lord Alakir. It's in Alakir's uh, yes. palace. Yeah, yep. The throne of the four winds. They're flying around in the air. And if you try to fly before he's defeated, they kill you. They're just up there. Um, but after you beat him, you know, you can fly around all you want and they don't do anything. Um, but that's the first time we see storm dragons. And then we see the storm dragons in Stormheim that Joe just mentioned, who are more dragon-like. Because the elemental ones all kind of look a little bit like nether drakes. Yes. And that's an interesting thing to think about. As they, The ones we meet in Stormheim, though, are very distinct looking. They certainly look like flesh and blood dragons, but they're not the same as any other dragons. They have very pronounced, uh, for lack of a better word, we used to call them Varian chins because yes. they have like Varian rins, giant. They have this giant axe chin, and their whole head kind of looks like an like an axe. Like they they're like they, one of their fighting techniques could be just to hit you with their face. They look like their their face is wrath armor, the helmet of it. Uh, and you know, otherwise though, they have all the abilities that we come to expect from dragons. They can fly. They can learn magic. Uh, one of them serves as like a, a close confidant of Javi. Uh, another is straight up the, the the evil dragon of the area. She had the Brood of Nidhogg, I think. Yep, the Brood of Nidhogg, yeah. the ones that would not swear allegiance uh, to the Titan Watchers. Yeah, and these guys are, for, they're, they're a small group. They're just mostly in Stormheim, but they're not, these are you, dragons that can breathe, like breathe storms onto people. There's they're, a third, there's a third subsection of them too, by the way. Don't forget, okay. don't forget Helia has a, 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 oh, a wing right. of them, yeah. the, uh, the Sky yeah. Sunderers. Uh, yeah. are under her her ages. Yeah, some of them broke off when Helia did. Yep. So yeah. Um but that's just like the storm dragons are essentially they're a big deal in in that expansion obviously. Uh but I'm trying to figure out exactly the the uh the the those these various dragons, they are dragons. Like yes. they are there's nothing about them that isn't. They are just just like a red dragon or a blue dragon or whatever. But they've never been part of any of those dragon flights. They did not and have a, a. They didn't have an aspect. Uh, they just continued on as dragons. And I think that it's very likely that they are descended from the ones from uh, the elemental plane of air. Just like the the next ones we're going to talk about are the 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 stone dragons. I think Joe's going to talk about those. I was going to say the, the stone dragons as well, but I was also going to point out that um, they're also the storm dragons are one of the few dragons, uh, what we consider true dragons in form and function that are still able to produce eggs. Yeah. They are canonically still able to have children and have clutches of eggs as far as even when we leave in Legion. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the stone drakes are another one too. As in Cataclysm, as we're moving between the the various realms, uh, as we're going through and and doing everything, we do stumble upon in in Deep Home stone dragons, and there are several of them. In fact, there's ones that we have to attack. There's ones that we have to wrangle for. Um, I can never remember her name. The uh, the earthen the earthen lord of of Deep Home. 
Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll remember it at the weirdest time. You, but, yeah. We both will, but we, we have to do that for her. But like, we see that like the ones that are still like reacting to her, go to her beck and call, but they are very much Drake. Like they're very, they're not dragons. They're not, they're not what we would consider. They're not like these four legged, uh, gigantic classic featured creatures. They're more akin to Drake's very similar in game terms. They're, they're basically mounts, right? They, that's what they look. They look like the ones that we, we fly on ourselves. They're smaller Therizane. Therizane, Thank you. They're smaller. Their necks are smaller. Their their wingspan is a little bit smaller, and they have that elemental uh, thing about them. They have like the stone and gems, and and they they are definitely creatures of the area that they live in. We never see fire drakes. Not really. We see flying creatures that we can't identify when we are in the firelands in the far off distance, but we never actually interact with them there. And we don't see any water drakes or any water dragons. But all of this comes to what I wanted to talk about, which I think is one of the most fascinating things about the dragons. And I'm curious if this was something that happened before or after the Titans. Dragons in general, dragon eggs, younger dragons, and dragons that are are being experimented on even after they're born from eggs, have shown an absolute insane propensity for absorbing energy and being manipulated by adapting to that energy. The nether drakes, the black dragonflight in particular, has a huge history of experimentation, but all of that experimentation is pumping energy through those eggs, pumping energy in through living creatures and watching what happens. Chromatis wouldn't have been able to happen if it wasn't able to absorb power from another spike. It never would have woken up. It never would have been uh, that sort of spark of life or that spark of animation. We see that they adapt quicker than humans do. But is that something that was just something they always did? Or is this something that happened after Tyr gave them... Atir and the other watchers gave them their powers. Here's Beca- why I think, in fact, that it is not from Tyr or the uh, Titans. Please. Because proto-dragons can do it. Think about the proto-dragons we meet. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned the plague proto-dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, who have proto-drakes. That, that's their drake stage. It's just... But um, look at... Uh, when Tyr first attempted his experiments, he tried them on another proto-drake, uh, Galakrond. And they didn't work the way he intended them to. And Galakron became this enormous monster. That, again, was a proto-drake. Not a drake. I mean, not a dragon. It was a proto-dragon. Other proto-dragons that were affected by the power of the Titans and became something else are the Aspects. All five of them. The original five Aspects were all changed from proto-dragons to dragons Mm -hmm. by the power of the Titans. But also, if you're in... um, Northrend in Wrath of the Lich King content, there's there's proto dragons that live in fire and breathe fire. Um, we and more than that, uh, we know that we're going to see things called primordials in Dragonflight. We've seen the, the promotional material, we've seen the the concept art, and these things seem to be giant, powerful element based proto dragons. So I think it's pretty likely. That the proto dragons, like there's there's proto dragons that do not owe any power or anything to the titans, 
but they 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 have elemental power. I think that that's possibly like from the source of the, the dragons originally being from the elemental plane, and when they came to Azeroth, suddenly they're laying eggs that hatch into things of Azeroth. Like just being on mm-hmm. Azeroth and being exposed to the power of Azeroth within the world changed them. Which makes now some interesting conversation. You're you're going where I where I absolutely was going to go with this, and I love it. Uh, but now it's like we we always often talk about like Galakrond, and if that was a fluke, and I don't think it was. It's what did Galakrond eat that made it like it? What what forced that adaptation? And that is what I think made the dragons prime candidates to receive the Titan's power in the first place. Is this ability to adapt? This ability to to understand and filter the energies? And if that is because uh, the the dragons came from the elemental planes and adjusted because that's what they were always meant to do because at their core, they're elementals or not, or that's just because of the natural design of the universe for them. I think it's absolutely fascinating and it makes dragons in Warcraft something that is truly magical to me more so than a lot of the other traditional fantasy media out there. There's, there's been a a folks that will always claim that, they're they're always ripping off of things like D&D or classic fantasy novels, and there's always going to be a level of that. But a lot of them don't t- do things like this. This is something that is unique to Warcraft. This is something that is unique in that storytelling where they are so adaptable. They are such creatures of magnificent power. And honestly, it makes me really excited for what's going to happen come Dragonflight. Because there's so many things to do. And a lot of people were really disheartened at the end of Cataclysm when, you know, we, the dragons give up their power and we think that there's, there's nothing that can be done for them. And it's the time of mortals now. They were mortals to begin with. They were mortal creatures before they were empowered. And they were crazy powerful then. We can still help them. They can still have a chance to be a central part of, of the story moving forward. But they have a chance of basically not being refrigerated anymore they can have a life they can be part of the ongoing story again so and that really excites me matt anything else you want to add in i will point out that um one of the interesting things is that the proto dragons seem to have the color breakdown like the 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 red blue green bronze and black that seems to be a proto dragon thing because that's all five of the original aspects were proto dragons mm-hmm and they were the colors that they are now. Um, whether or not that means that they like had like the same powers, I don't think they had the same powers. But I do think they had like I know that the red proto drakes that we still see, they're still out there. They're all over Northrend. Uh, can absolutely breathe fire and can live in fire. Um, so yeah, I think it is going to be interesting to see if we we get more of a sense of the pro- the origins of proto drakes, where they're really from, if they do come from the elemental planes, how they got to Azeroth, um, what their existence is like, like what are stone drakes, what are storm dragons? Mm-hmm. How can we have two different kinds of storm dragons, ones that are very very flesh like and living dragons, and others that aren't? So yeah, there's there's a ton more to see about dragons, and I'm very interested to see what Dragonflight does with them. Very interesting things are coming in the future, folks. But for now, uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. 
Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. As a last reminder, folks, and one day I hope that I will not have to keep saying this, but we're not there yet. All of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard and the game industry at large in their efforts to unionize and demand change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment and fair and equal treatment. Uh, as one final note, uh, this week has been particularly hard for a lot of us and a lot of communities uh, as tragedies continue to happen. Uh, I encourage you all to reach out to your loved ones or people you care about, your friends, check in on them, see how they're doing. And if you can do anything to support your local communities, uh, I would really take it as a kindness if you you could try to do something like uh, whether it's donating your time or our efforts to make sure that those most vulnerable in your communities are taken care of. Uh, and then one last thing of bookkeeping. If you have questions for any of our podcasts that you do want us to answer, please make sure you send them in. Uh, you can go ahead and send those in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com or any of our various discord channels. Uh, and especially after we've just done a whole series on the dragon flights here. Uh, if you have questions that you want us to answer about them, send them on in. But with that folks, we'll see you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.